Let me say a prayer for our time in the Word, and then we'll begin. Father God, I'm excited about what you have for us today. I'm excited about your Word, that you give us your Word, and that you still speak to us through your Holy Spirit, through this Word right here. Thank you for the Bible, God. Would your Holy Spirit be very evident right now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you feel hopeless? Do you ever feel lost or, or kind of dark, like, like you're caught in the darkness? Depression, sadness. Well, back in the 1500s, there was a man named John. There was a priest named John who wrote about the darkness. He wrote a poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. And he understood what it was like to go through darkness, to go through uh, periods of suffering and trial. In fact, he renamed himself John of the Cross because he wanted to be so much about the cross, about crucifying the desires of the flesh, about the suffering of Christ. And John did this uh, through pursuing a life of holiness. He was uh, a part of a community where they spent a lot of time of, in prayer and in community and fellowship and uh, setting themselves aside and fasting and quietness. He was a part of a movement uh, that we would call ascetic or holiness uh, or uh, pious. Uh, and because of this, he actually went through times of persecution. At one point in his life, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, kidnapped and, and locked away in a cell, a dark, windowless cell where he could not see the light. He was in the black, in the darkness, in the despair. And it's at that point that he wrote poetry about how wonderful and how amazing God is. That's amazing. John suffered from a life of hardship and a life of depression. And yet, through it all, he knew that God is with us. He wrote that sometimes the darkness is just God's test. God is, God is giving us the darkness because he loves us, because he wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to grow, to trust him. He knows that we feel like God has abandoned us in these times of trial but actually, God is more close than ever before. We just can't sense his presence. And when we can't see how to move forward, it means that we have to walk by faith. Continuing a sermon series on the book of Job. And Job went through a time of trial and, and tri a time of suffering. He knew that sometimes life is bitter and sometimes God feels unfair. Maybe some of you feel that way as well, that life can be bitter and God can seem unfair. Does life feel bitter? Does God seem unfair? In chapters 1 and 2 of Job, he lost his family, he lost his wealth, and he was struck with sores all over his body. And in chapter 7, we're going to read Job's response to the suffering he's going through. His friends had come and they had tried to comfort him by telling him, you know, these things are happening to you because you sinned. And Job responds to them here. And the first thing he admits is that life is bitter. Life is bitter. 
Life is bitter because it's full of hard labor, pain, and waste. Let's read Job 7, 1 through 6. The first six verses. Has not man a hard service on earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand who looks for his wages, so I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Life is bitter because it's full of hard labor, it's full of pain, and it's full of waste. So first, life is bitter because it's full of hard labor. Job in verse 1 and 2 feels like a hired hand or a slave. He refers to himself as by both of those. And, and, and back in that culture, uh, slaves didn't have it real good. They had to work all day, sometimes in the blazing hot sun, and then they wouldn't get paid. And a hired hand didn't have it much better because they also might work all day, and then they might not get paid. The, their employer might say, no, no, I'll pay you tomorrow when you know, the wages have fluctuated and maybe I'll owe you less tomorrow. And that was hard because their families relied on, on the income day by day to buy food, to survive. It's a little different than, than we experience it here today. Job is saying, you know, I, I feel utterly dependent. I, I have worked for all these things in my life. I, I, I worked for a wonderful family. I worked for uh, immense wealth. And all those things are gone. I, I have nothing to show for those things that I've put all my time and all of my effort into. Maybe some of you can relate with Job because you also have put in a lot of time and a lot of work into things that that seemed to have disappeared. A Wells Fargo employee just wrote the CEO of Wells Fargo an email asking for a $10,000 raise for all employees. And if that wasn't bold enough, he CC'd 200,000 other Wells Fargo employees. He asked for a 10,000 raise for everyone uh, because he looked at the profits of the company and said, wow, they're, they're earning so much and I'm barely getting by. And look at all these other people who are barely getting by. I think that's sometimes how we feel, where we work and work, and yet we still have loans. We still have debts to pay. Life is bitter because it's full of hard labor. Maybe some of you don't even like your job because you work and work, and you go, you go to work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and it's not something you enjoy, and you don't get paid that much. Life is bitter because it's full of hard labor. Second, life is bitter because it's full of pain. Verses 4 and 5, Job is suffering from insomnia and from sickness. Insomnia, he can't sleep at night. He's having trouble. And we read elsewhere in Job and later in this chapter that, that Job is being haunted at night. And, and, he, and he thinks God is doing it, but, but actually it's Satan. And so he can't sleep at night. He can't fall asleep. And he, he's also sick. Maybe some of you know what it's like to be so sick that you can't sleep. Job has uh, wounds all over his body. Verse 5 is pretty gross. My flesh is clothed with war worms. He has maggots in his skin, and, his, and, and he's scabbing over with dirt. We get the uh, picture of someone who is in extreme discomfort. 
And we go through those times as well where we're in extreme discomfort. Maybe we have to get surgeries or, or the doctors just don't know what's wrong with us or there is something wrong with us, but no one will believe us. Life is bitter because it's full of pain. Third, life is bitter because it's full of waste. Verse 6 talks about a weaver's shuttle. Now, a weaver's shuttle, I have a, a mock one here that I was made uh, to help with this illustration. A weaver's shuttle... As you can see, it's, it's kind of a little shuttle that holds some yarn, and the only thing I really know about yarn is that it's everywhere in my house, or as my wife would like to say, it's actively present. Uh, so a weaver shuttle is used on a floor loom. So a floor loom is, made to use, uh, is used to made, make rugs, uh, and you can use yarn, you can use cloth, and, and what they would do is it, there's, a, there's a spot that a shed opens up, and you would sit here, and you would pass the, uh, the weaver shuttle through the shed. Then you would crank it down, lock the yarn into place. And then you'd pass it back through the other way, lock it into place. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of going back and forth like this. And yet the rug grows very, very slowly. It takes a long time. And Job is saying, look at all this back and forth movement. I've been doing all these things, going back and forth here and there, and I have nothing to show for it. Maybe that's how some of us feel, where we do and we do and we do, and we're always busy. We always have activities, and we never get anywhere. It's like running on a treadmill. Life is bitter because it's full of waste. Life is bitter because it's full of hard labor, full of pain, and full of waste. But the sourest fact of all about life is that it always leads to death. Verses 7 through 10 say, life is bitter because it ends in death. Seven, remember that my life is a breath. My eyes will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. Now the NIV translates verse seven, remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. In verses 1 through 6, we see Job talking to his friends. He's talking to the eyes of those that can see me. Those, those people that, that call themselves his friends that have come uh, to, to chastise him. We, we see him talking with those people. And then in verse 7, he begins to direct his speech directly to God. So there's a transition from, from talking to those around him to talking directly to to God. And in this, he complains. He complains, God, I'm going to die. He's very sick. And as you can imagine, he thinks he's going to die. And in, in verse 9, he, he flat out says that there is no resurrection. Everyone that goes down to Sheol, everyone dies and no one comes back. Whether you're good, whether you're bad, everyone goes into the ground and everyone stays there. Life is bitter because it leads to death. Now, there's two, uh, two applications from this point, two simple applications from this point, an A and a B. A, when you're bitter at life, talk to God about it. So when you go through times of hard employment where you, you, you lose your job or you don't like your job or you're, you're having conflicts with coworkers, talk to God about it. When you're going through hard times with your family, when they're, they're, they're relying on you or they're dependent upon you or they're treating you unfairly. Talk to God about it. 
when you are overwhelmed and anxious about homework that's due or, or school assignments, talk to God about it. When you just don't know what's coming next, when, 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 you're, when you're, you're stuck in times of darkness and despair and you feel depressed, talk to God about it. It's always a good time to talk to God. Job complains directly to God. And notice that, that the book of Job doesn't end here in verse 8. God does not strike him dead. Talk to God about it. A, when you're bitter at life, talk to God about it. And B, death kills everyone, so we need to be ready. See, Job may be denying the resurrection here, but he is right that everyone does die. Uh, my mentor, my pastoral mentor, David Midwood, he passed away two weeks ago. He died. But one of the things that he liked to preach was this. He said, last time I checked, the mortality rate is still 100%. <laughs> so if you're a health nut and you eat all your green vegetables, shop at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, you're going to die. <laughs> if you work out all the time and are in great shape, you're going to die. If you're very careful with the things you do and the, and the risks you take, never travel on airplanes or go outside, you're going to die. And even if you do none of these things, even if you sit on the couch, you're going to die. See, we need to be ready. All of us are going to die. And the question is, is our death going to be bitter, or is it going to be a reunion? Death kills everyone, so we need to be ready. As maybe you've noticed about the book of Job, he's very bitter. He is bitter about life. He wishes that he could just die and get away from it all. He's bitter about what has happened to him. And I think it's better to admit that life is bitter than to pretend it's not. Sometimes we're tempted to say, oh, life's good. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. But life can be bitter. Life is bitter because something is wrong. Something is intrinsically wrong with life. And we need to admit that. Verses 11 through 16. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days or a breath. Life is bitter because something is wrong. In verse 11, Job says, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Now, this word for bitterness uh, can be uh, substituted, translated with the word narrowness. Job is saying, I will complain in the narrowness of my soul. And that gives us an image, an image in our mind, a picture that, that Job is, is, is at the bottom of a crevice. That Job is walking through a very deep, dark, narrow valley. And I'm sure some of you have experienced those mountaintop times in life where everything's good, 
Jobs well, families well, everything, everything's wonderful. But then we always know that it, it comes back down to those valleys, those times where everything seems hard, everything seems dark, everything seems, seems difficult. I will complain in the narrowness of my soul. Maybe some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It's from the 1600s. I'm kind of old today in my illustrations. but uh, John Bunyan wrote a story called Pilgrim's Progress, and it's, the, it's an allegory for a Christian's life. So if, if you believe in Jesus, this is uh, kind of an illustration of, of the standard Christian life. And, and in this life, Christian, he sets off on his journey. He's burdened with sin, and he, he gets stuck in bogs of sin, and he gets led astray by temptations, by various bandits and robbers, and he, and he makes his way onto the narrow, the narrow road, and he comes to Calvary, and he lays down his burden at Calvary at the cross. And at one point in the story, he fights the dragon Apollyon. He fights Satan, temptation. And then right after that, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And in this valley of the shadow of death, he, he confronts doom and gloom and demons. It's so black, you can't see. He can barely make it through. Perhaps some of you know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or you feel like you're walking one step at a time. God doesn't want us to act like nothing's wrong. God knows that there is something wrong. And God had plans to fix it. But hold on for that. Now, if God is the one who gives life, the question Job asks and we ask is how could God do this? When Job looks around him at everything that has happened, there's only one conclusion God is unfair. God is unfair. Life is bitter. God is unfair. Sometimes it feels like God has it out for us. Verses 17 through 19. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone until I swallow my spit? Sometimes it feels like God has it out for us. In verses 17 through 19, Job asks God, why do you bother with people? Why do you look upon us? We're so small. We're so insignificant. Why do you set your heart on us? Why do you watch us? Why do you test us? In verse 18. It's interesting to note that in these verses, Job in a backward kind of way is saying that God cares about us. Job is saying, God, you care a little bit too much for us. You're watching me too closely. You're, you're keeping your eyes on me. I, I wish you would stop that. But he, he's admitting, he, he's saying God is not the God of the agnostics that just creates us and walks away. No, God, God stays here. God is present. God, God is caring for us. He's watching out for us. But sometimes all that, that attention doesn't feel very good. And it feels like God has it out for us. That God is testing us. Now, I, I know that some of you have taken tests recently. Some of you have taken maybe the ACT or the SAT. Maybe some of you have taken college tests or a test for uh, you know, a certificate or a, a work program. Uh, when I was going to community college, when I was uh, getting in, I had to take the ACT, so I never took the SAT. I did about average. I won't tell you my score. 
And when I was working at the, the Farm Credit Administration, so out of college I got hired in D.C. as a bank examiner, uh, we would go to training uh, sessions for about a week, and then we'd have to take a test at the end, which no one liked. Uh, and then we had to take a yearly test, uh, which uh, helped you progress in the program, and it helped me discern that I wasn't called to bank examination. <laughs> and although tests are never fun, they are designed for our good. Uh, maybe some of you who are in school are like, no, tests are never designed for our good. Tests are evil. Well, no, actually not. Tests, tests are, are there to, to help us improve, to, to, to see if we know the information that we're getting taught, to see that we're growing and learning. And if you have to take tests for your job, they're there to make sure that you know how to do your job. So if there's weak areas, you know to work on those areas. See, God tests us to reveal our hearts. God tests us so that we would Rely on him so that he can discern, all right, so you're relying on me in this area, but what about this area? Have you, have you given me your all? Are you mine? God tests us to grow our faith so that we learn to rely on him because when we go through hard times, that's when we rely on him. God tests us because he loves us, not because he has it out for us. And yet sometimes it feels like God has it out for us. Sometimes it also feels like God is unfair. Verses 20 through 21. If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. In verse 20, Job is saying, if I've sinned, which I have not, why does it matter to you, God? I'm small. I'm insignificant. Why do you care so much about me and my sin? And in verse 21, he's still not saying that he's sinned. He's not admitting that. Job hasn't sinned. He's blameless. But he's saying, if I did sin, God, and unintentionally, somewhere in me, if there is sin, why not just forgive my sin? Why not just walk away from me, God? Why, why not just ignore me? Well, praise God that he didn't. See, God wasn't gonna ignore, isn't, isn't going to ignore our sins and didn't ignore Job's sins because he had a better plan. Because he wanted to turn Job's despair and Job's bitterness around. If God were to walk away, it would just leave us in our sin. We'd, we'd be stuck in our sin forever. But God had other plans. He had plans to change us no matter the price. I like to think of it this way. Job needs to go roller skating. Job, need, Job, Job is skating one direction. He's bitter. He's, he's sad. He's, he's in despair. He's frustrated. And he needs a loud voice from heaven to say, switch directions. Reverse, reverse. He needs God to come and reverse his hopelessness. And that's what I want us to think about here, that Christ reverses our hopelessness. This is the, the big idea, the, the main point, that Christ reverses our hopelessness. See, life is bitter. God is unfair. But Christ reverses our hopelessness so that life is sweet and God is just. Christ reverses our hopelessness. 
Uh, coming up later in the book of Job, later in this series, we'll be reading more about hope, about where Job placed his hope. See, he had all this hopelessness, this, this suffering, and it needed to place it somewhere. We're going to read uh, from Job chapter 19 later, but I want us to get, catch a glimpse of this, that Job does find hope in how he does it. Job 19, 25 through 26 says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Yes, in chapter 7 he denies the resurrection, but when he places his eyes on the Redeemer, he finds hope. He finds hope in the resurrection. When he, when he places his eyes on the coming Messiah, Job was looking forward to the Messiah. We are looking backward to what Christ has done. When we place our eyes on the Messiah on the cross, we find hope. Now, when we look at the cross, look up there. When we look at the cross, we see suffering. We see Christ's suffering. And, and when we look at that, that doesn't say, you know, oh, well, what I'm going through doesn't matter. What I'm going through really is insignificant in comparison to what Jesus went through. Maybe you think that. But actually, the cross does not devalue your suffering. The cross actually increases the value of your suffering. Because God realized that what you and I go through is so important that he was willing to come and experience that with us. See, God has been through the worst of trials. Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, suffered on our behalf. He has gone through nightmares. He has gone through despair. He has gone through terror. And when you're going through those same things, through darkness and depression, you can look at the cross and say, God understands. God knows what I'm going through, and God values my darkness. God values my suffering. When we come to the cross, we realize that we don't suffer alone. Christ reverses our hopelessness. Where life was bitter, now life is sweet. Yes, life is full of hard labor that sometimes isn't rewarding. But when we trust God, when we realize that God is in control, he's put us in those jobs where we don't uh, feel like we earn enough or, or those jobs that we don't enjoy. And he says, I've, I've placed you there. Come and follow me here. I have something special for you to do right here. Yes, life is full of aches and pains we'd rather not have. But when you go through times of suffering, God is preparing you. God is, God is making you into a new creation. He's preparing you for eternity with him. So that one day you'll be able to look back and say, wow, look at everything I went through. And now I can just enjoy heaven all the much more because of it. Look how sweet eternity is. Yes, life is full of waste and sometimes lacks meaning. But if you trust in God, if you love God, God is saying, I, I work everything out for good if you love me. All of your life, even, even those days, the, those ordinary days where nothing really special happens, God is working in those moments to refine you, to change you. There's no ordinary days in God's kingdom because he's always at work. Yes, life is bitter because everyone dies sooner or later. But if you trust in Christ Jesus, if like, if like Christian, you lay your burdens down at the cross and you follow after him and you, you put your hope in Jesus, 
God invites you to eternal life, to eternity spent with Jesus, the new and everlasting home that is perfect, that is free from death. Death will be put away. Yes, something is wrong in this life, but God knows it. God knew something was wrong, and so he sent his son Christ Jesus to fix it, to give us hope, to take away our sins so that our debt would be paid in full, just like the mortgage. Look at all we owe, 900-some thousand dollars. God is offering, I will pay your entire debt like that. I will, I will wipe it off the record books if you'll trust in me. Where God was unfair, now God is just. We were all born in sin and we would die in sin if, unless it was for God's mercy. See, if God were fair, if God were truly fair, he would just walk away from us and say, I'm done. I clean my hands. I clean my hands and I walk away. But God is just. He provided a way of mercy. The cross is where justice and mercy meet. See, our sins are real. When we rebel against God, that causes uh, a real person anger. That, that is a sin against a real person, a real God. And God is saying, well, I have, to, I have to do something with those sins to cleanse them, so I'm going to send my son, Christ Jesus. He's going to take the penalty for your sins. That is mercy. He died on the cross. And it's just because your sins are being paid for. And I will give you a new life. I will give you an eternal life. I will give you my son's life. I will give you an entirely clean slate so that your record will be spotless. So that when I look upon you, I look upon the perfect life of my son. Yes, I still see you. But I see Christ as well. Job wished that God would just walk away, but praise God that he didn't. Where God was unfair, now God is just. Life is bitter, God is unfair, Christ reverses our hopelessness. Life is sweet, God is just. Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel lost? Do you feel like, like the darkness and the depression and the sadness is overwhelming you? I open by talking about John of the Cross and his poem, The Dark Night of the Soul, and how we all walk through dark nights of the soul. And maybe that's where you're at right now as well. Job renamed himself after the cross because he wanted to be all about the cross of Christ, about purification, about, about the suffering of Jesus. To have your name after the cross is to say, wow, look how wonderful the cross is. Look at the cross. That, that is where I find my hope. In Jesus' action on a tree, that he took our curse upon himself. Wouldn't it be wonderful if if, if people so knew what we were about that they called us after the cross. Andrew of the cross. Dave of the cross. Liz of the cross. John Cameron of the cross. Let's be all about the cross of Christ, all about what he has accomplished on our behalf. Life is bitter. God is unfair. Christ reverses our hopelessness. Life is sweet. God is just. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we do go through times of hardship and times of trial. 
And we know that you have experienced that blackness, that darkness of the soul, just as much as we have. And it gives us comfort. It gives us hope to know that you value what we're going through. Thank you that you sent your son, Christ Jesus, so that we might live, so that the darkness is not permanent, so that one day we will live in your light forever. What a wonderful day that will be, Jesus. Amen.